totally football show. And there's four players better than him, apparently. Champions League, we're between two legs, and Liverpool just got shafted by a goat. Meanwhile, in London, great Van der Beekhoff makes Spurs crumble. We talk chances for comebacks for Barca and Ajax, and preview the weekend, Man City, Leicester, and Liverpool going from the Geordie Alba to the Geordie Shore with a crucial clash in Newcastle. All that and more in this totally football show in association with Paddy Power. Coming all the way in for you to talk bull about tactics, formations and football science today are Michael Cox. Hi, James. Duncan Alexander. Hi, James. Hi to you, Duncan. And Julien Laurent, who's dressed up all spiffily because you're doing French TV later, Jules. I am indeed at the Emirates for the Arsenal-Valencia game. I'm looking forward to that. Arsenal coming hot off the back of three straight defeats yeah. and with a mighty clash with Brighton awaiting the weekend. All things we'll talk about later, but of course, listener... We want to talk about what happened Wednesday night as Liverpool visited that cauldron of noise and colour that was the Camp No. Yeah, the colour being the key word. They had a nice big English TIFO at the start of the game. The whole yeah. kind of one side of the stadium just read out, we're ready to colour Europe. Which is an ambitious project. Duncan, you raised the question, which would be the most difficult bit? Yeah, I went with Western Norway with all the islands on the uh, on the edge. A few people suggested to me the Finnish lakes or Western right. Scotland. Um, okay. But Barcelona, you know, if anyone can do it, they can. Right. Let us know, Barcelona, if you need more crayons or anything like that. For now, let's concentrate on the extraordinary performance put in by their team and their start on Wednesday night. How extraordinary? This extraordinary. Guanya el Barça 2-0 davant del Liverpool. Semifinals de la Champions. Pica Messi! A little bit on the cero there, or on the cero, Michael Cox. Come to his name, intriguingly, is Ricard Torquemada. Torquemada, you know, of the Inquisition. I don't know if he's any relation, okay. but he certainly loved that messy goal. I'm guessing it was the free kick. Yeah, if he did that for the tap-in from two yards, I think he's gone OTT. Right, OK. <laughs> Although that was a fun goal as well. So Barcelona meeting Liverpool in a much-anticipated clash on Wednesday night in the Champions League semi-finals. The Catalans, 3-0 winners. Harsh, many people feel, on Liverpool, who had more shots and more possession. Barcelona, though, had more Messi. Yeah, he was the difference. And uh, he's almost he almost acts outside the tactical battle. I thought it was a pretty even game. I thought Klopp's approach worked quite well. They had three chances, Liverpool, that I'd say were the equal of the, the chances Barcelona created. But he does have the ability to rise above everything that was going on and and decide the game. The free kick is the kind of thing we've seen from him repeatedly over the last 18 months. It's maybe the the area where he's improved the most. He's always been a really top-class player in pretty much every attacking sense and was always a decent free kick taker. But the level he's got to over the last 18 months, he's just scoring, I would guess, more prolifically than we've seen pretty much ever. Well, yeah, you said that. Oh, have you looked into it? Because yeah. I've looked into it as well. All right. Well, what did they find? Uh, he's got eight goals from direct free kicks this season, which is one more than Man United, Man City and Liverpool combined, which is good. But some people were, were saying he's now better at direct free kicks than he is at penalties, which is a, a bit of a stretch because he's scored five out of six from the penalty spot this season and eight out of 56 from direct free kicks. So <laughs> we are only really remembering the ones that go in, but he is, yeah, he has improved. But, but to, to 
to the point of, of Coxie, how he's improved in that department, he scored as many free kicks between 17 and 19, so in the last two years, mm. 15, which, which is as many as he did between 09 and 15 as well, which was 15. And if you look at the attempts and the goals he scored, for example, in the 2011-2012 season, he scored three out of 55 which is a very, very low ratio. It's like a Cristiano Ronaldo type of ratio, right. you know, or Marcus Rashford type of ratio. <laughs> but now he's far more efficient. Well, Steve McManama was much happier with, with, with those old times when Messi <laughs> wasn't putting the ball in from that range. I'm not having it, Fletch, as he memorably <laughs> pined after that, that free kick on Wednesday night. And some people, here's listener Ali Patel, who says... The, the goal is as much poor preparation from Alisson as anything else. Messi keeps scoring the same in-step free kick into that postage stamp this season. From 35 yards out, he never scores from open play, so just have no wall. And if he stands in the middle, Alisson would save it. It is true that as the ball takes flight, you can see Alisson behind the wall taking a, sec- uh, taking a, a vital beat before he sees what's happening. But then again, if there hadn't been a wall and Alisson just stood in the middle, M- Messi would just do something else anyway, wouldn't he? Maybe. I mean, first of all, it's actually the wrong side for the postage stamp, I think you'll find. Um, and second... Is there a side for a postage stamp? It should be top right, shouldn't it? Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, Letters. I mean, the the point that I think was slightly overlooked, and I hate to give a caveat, and Jules is not happy with this, but it, <laughs> the ball did take a slight deflection oh, of Gomez. A really Gomez slight deflection. Gomez own goal. Well, the it takes a nick of, of just Gomez. a little yeah. bit, and so I'd I'd have some sympathy with Allison. However, I do agree with the point. I'm a little bit surprised he didn't put the ball the other side, because I I, I genuinely thought Messi was going to go for that top corner and put it in there, and Allison would have watched videos. So I'm a little bit surprised he didn't go the opposite way. Messi very much the star on Wednesday. The opening goal, which was as beautiful if not more, was no. was not of his creation though. Jules, no, he wasn't, and. I, th- I think the finishing of, of Suarez is obviously very nice, very good. His run is very good. But the ball from Jordi Alba and the way he hits it and how low it is, it's just sensational. And I think, OK, you can say that maybe Virgil van Dijk, his positioning and the line at the back is not good enough. And you could maybe blame a little bit van Dijk for that. But the ball is such of a quality that I think for any defender in the world, it would have been almost impossible. Suarez, who's standing in front of Van Dijk, helpfully points out to Van Dijk and anybody, this is where I'm going to run. But he goes too quick then. He goes so and quick. And the, the ball is so good. And he's the way as well. They've, they've done it all through the first half. The diagonal from either PK or Busquets towards Jordi Alba, who at times, as well as the tactics from Klopp worked in that game, if you don't shift your, especially your midfielder, on the right-hand side quickly, then Jordi Alba has three seconds by himself to get the ball and then cross like, like he did on that goal. I, I agree with Jules. I think that was the one area where Liverpool were weak and where Klopp maybe didn't do it right tactically. When we saw the lineups and we saw that essentially they're playing a fourth midfielder, I wonder, I mean, obviously that was because of the Firmino injury, but I wondered whether he would have used that to kind of shift the shape and maybe put Milner out there and just have someone to basically man-mark Jordi Alba because I think I've said it a couple of times on this podcast before this season, I think he's the second player you have to stop. Messi's the first and sometimes you can't do that. Alba's the guy who you kind of can realistically deal with. Obviously they played Joe Gomez instead of Alexander-Arnold um, and if there's one player who's been putting in balls like Jordi Alba in England this season, it's Alexander-Arnold and I don't think they got enough out of Gomez to justify what they did there and they'd have probably been better off playing Alexander-Arnold and having that ball. What about the big messy Virgil van Dijk duel that everyone was looking forward to? Much made of that moment when van Dijk's 
flapping his arms saying, come on, give me some help over that's here. That's not what he did. He said to Robertson, you were in the wrong position in the first place. Van Dijk should never be with Messi on the touchline. This is Robertson's position. It does, your centre-half cannot, well, or shouldn't go out of his you know, centre-back position too wide like that, chasing Messi and leaving a huge gap between behind him with Robertson obviously stepping in and, and you know they, they swept, but I think the only thing Van Dijk is saying to Robertson is this is not my role this is your role he's not scared of Messi he doesn't ask for anyone to come and support him right. he's just saying to Robertson this is where you should be and not me Maybe I've noticed it more because he's usually so calm and cool against most opponents. But I think in the bigger games this season, Van Dijk has had a couple of dodgy ones. I mean, in the 0-0 against Man City, he, gave a penalty, he, he made that ridiculous tackle on Mahrez and was lucky that Mahrez skied the ball over the bar. Had that gone in and City won the league, we would have said, well, maybe that's the turning point. I mean, he's, he's been the best defender in England by a long way, but he has had a few dodgy games, mm. I in think. In Paris as well in the Champions League. I mean, they're away from the Champions League last night and they, they lost four games all away from home, which is more than in all the other games. In, they've they've lost three. Yeah, they've yeah. lost three in all other competitions and four in the Champions yeah, interesting League. Interesting point, actually. And away from home, they've been really poor. And in Paris, I mean, he had Lovren next to him, which is a liability. And I remember being on the show after that game and we said that Van Dijk looked tense because he had Lovren next to him and anything could happen with Lovren but yeah I, I get your it's point probably worth pointing out as well that Joel Matip was probably Liverpool's best defender last night I thought and well, what about Barcelona at the back because they looked super uh, Tish Stegen fantastic uh, Will Frost saying when was the last Barcelona side to be this solid at the back well I think that's slightly judging it on the scoreline because Liverpool did create three clear-cut chances, and on you know on another night they could have scored two or three goals. So, and then we'd be saying this Barcelona team isn't particularly good at defending. And don't forget, this time last year or in the quarterfinals, they you know they won handsomely at home to Roma, and then got turned over in the second leg. Yeah. So it, it, it is a massive long shot, but I don't think Liverpool are completely out of it yet. Okay, because it's three 0 but it could have been four had Usman Dembele not Dembele did up, gone Dembele up. I don't remember that. if he was right-footed or left-footed on this one, so he just messed it up. His <laughs> pass had a couple of chances like that when they broke from Liverpool corners or Liverpool set Yeah, it was pieces. reminiscent of the England-Argentina 98 World Cup with Darren Anderson chasing, but Andy Robertson used three lungs to get back on one of them at the end of the game. Anyway, so yeah, 3-0 is the score against the Barcelona team that blew a 4-1 lead in the quarters last year. And given that they're Liverpool... And, you know, 3-0 down halfway through a Champions League clash. It means that we have to talk about comeback chances. What do you think, Michael? Can they do a, a Roma? Or is their best plan just to enjoy Messi, uh, you know, having a nice close-up view of him? I think they've got a small chance. I think uh, Salah, Firmino and Mane is probably the best front three in Europe. I think they can score three goals against any opposition. It probably won't happen because they, they probably won't keep a clean sheet. And that will leave them needing five, which is a... Probably too much. The first 20 minutes will be will be crucial if they can score then. I've um, seen a few people say, or oh, maybe Messi will get injured and that will help, which it obviously would. But I think it's worth pointing out, he hasn't played fewer than 40 games in a season since 2006-07. He's, you know, as well as being brilliant, he's incredibly robust. Mm. And he's unlikely, I imagine. Will they even use him this weekend? They've already sure sealed they the... They've won the league. They've won the league. Jules, what do you think? As, as an expert hopes? of Remontada being a PSG fan, uh, <laughs> I think I can I can talk about this subject very very well. Um, I agree with the boys. I think there's a, there's a slim chance, and if you know the atmosphere would be incredible in that game, and you could expect the fans to really support the team and push the team, and and I think if they can find a goal early or at least put pressure early and create something and 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 get in the game, then yeah, maybe. Yeah. 
OK, well, before that, on Saturday, Liverpool meet up with uh, ooh, Rafa Benitez in Newcastle with a chance to retake the lead in the Premier League and put some pressure on Man City. We'll talk about that match later on, because up next, Spurs-Ajax. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Madrid, Turin, and now Seven Sisters Road all have fallen to one of the finest young footballing teams we've seen in a long while. Michael Cox and Julian Laurence were... You had the, the, the pleasure of being up close yeah. with... Ajax on Tuesday night at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Great atmosphere, Jules. Yes, for the first 15 minutes. And after the, the Van der Beek goal, it just got so quiet, which which is understandable because I think the Spurs fans um, I had high expectations, high ambition in a game like this. It looked like that was you know a huge opportunity for them to reach the final, at least easier than facing Liverpool or Barcelona, for example. And... Ajax was so good and Spurs were so bad in the first half hour that very quickly I thought, I don't know if Coxie agreed with me, but quickly I thought the atmosphere went a bit down because they realised how good Ajax were. And the most nervous team looked being Spurs and not Ajax. And the, the tactical plan from Pochettino clearly from very early on looked like it was not working at all. And then suddenly there was just one team there and one set of fans, which were the Ajax. Right. The, the, the tactical thing did shift with with Vertonghen's injury. But let's talk about what happened in that opening half hour and the van der Beek goal. So much time that he could he could even play around with Loris a bit, doing a little, am I going to shoot, am I? Yeah, it was funny watching that live because it, it, it felt like he had about five seconds where he was just pausing, uh, waiting for Loris to go down. And I think sometimes in those situations, players try to be too clever and almost dink it over the top. But he was very good. I thought he was excellent in the two games against Juventus. I think I said before, not a player that's got as much hype as... De Jong and uh, De Ligt, but yeah, his his midfield runs and his getting beyond the striker, I think is such a crucial thing when you're playing someone like Tadic, who isn't an out-and-out goal scorer, he's a creator. Um, and, and they deserved that from the first 20-25 minutes, they were by far the better team. After that, I thought the game was relatively uneventful, really, but Ajax really took control early, early so, on. So Vertonghen has that horrific clash of heads with Alderweireld. There's all the controversy about the fact that the doctors send him back on where he his legs go and he vomits and then they realise maybe this might not be the best idea. He's going to have a, a brain scan, I believe, today ahead of... Well, I don't think there's any question of him playing at the weekend against Bournemouth, but potentially they might think about using him in, in, in the second leg. As usual, there's a wealth of uh, medically informed people talking about what should happen in these cases. Yeah, I thought it was slightly disappointing that for the rest of the first half after that happened, there was a lot of talk about concussion protocol, which was obviously a serious thing. But you know, there's a Champions League semi-final going on, so. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's six days, isn't it? So he, if the brain scan's okay, he should be okay to play in the second leg. Okay, but let's talk about the the change. So Sissoko, who people were very disappointed not to see in the starting lineup, does come on, and that makes is that's what swings the game, is it? Yeah, it it did work out well for Spurs on the night. I mean, I don't think Sissoko was 100% fit. I think he would have started, was mm. he, 100%. But it did improve Tottenham. I think the the problem was they then kind of asserted control of the game uh, at, at points in the second half. But they just didn't have the attacking options. They didn't have any player in the final third who could really threaten Ajax going in behind. And, you know, that was the that was the problem with losing Son. You know, with him back in a second leg, I think Spurs have so much more attacking threat. OK. Stein pointing out that in some ways the second half was even worse for Spurs than the first one in which they actually conceded because they had the tactical superiority but still couldn't 
create any chances. What do you think then about uh, how optimistic Spurs fans should be? A lot of them saying it's still game on at at one nil. It's not. No, but they're still in, they're still in to go through, and they still have a chance. And and I think I don't think a one nil lead away from home. Is is an easy lead to defend at home? Do you go and 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 try to score more? Do you, do you even unconsciously defend a bit and sit a bit deeper because you say if he stays at nil nil, we're going through to the final, we're qualified. Uh, you know, of course, it's better to win your your first leg, especially away from home, than losing it. But I, I'm just not sure how easy it is to approach a second leg at right. home like that. For Ajax. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, their second legs have been so awesome so far. Yeah, but all away from home. home. And they were never through before the second leg either. Does that make that big a difference? Surely, yeah. Because right now, if he stays nil-nil, they don't need to attack. And if they don't concede, they go through. Right. Which was not the case in either of the two previous rounds yeah, where they had to go and get the, the, the qualification in the second leg. Sure. And also, they've been playing with such freedom as well. You, it's the second leg of a Champions League semi-final at home. The, there's going to be a point where the pressure yeah, is there? mounts. I mean, when they came out at, uh, on Tuesday to that wall of sound and and, and to that wall of sound, you, you could have expected yeah, them kind of, to show even a, a They're kind of used to that. You know, they've gone to the Bernabeu, they've gone away to Juventus and they've kind of coped with that. But I think okay, What I've got different. so far from you is the fact that they're 1-0 up and they're going to be playing at home are both major disadvantages to Alex's <laughs> chances of making the final. No, 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 no. It's, it's good, obviously. Right. But it's just in the way you approach the game, yep. it, might, it might get a bit tricky on, you know, do you go... Because if you go on attack and let yourself exposed, mm. that, that surely that's not, that's not the idea, right? Sure. So, you know, do you go for it? And we've, we've been saying all season, they, they play the same way home and away. Yep. So you can expect them to go for it at home as well. But they have got the advantage that they would be silly to just go and, you know, and, and left their defence exposed. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Okay. I, I agree with that. And what, what about Spurs tactics? If, if Ajax are kind of revisiting their, their glory days of the 70s, should Spurs equally dust off the English traditions of just hoofing it upfield? Yeah, they, they you know, without Son and Kane, they were very much based around Llorente. But I think Dilipt uh, handled really well Llorente, the physical threat. He's just so good all around. And... Uh, I was really impressed with Ajax's defenders, actually. This was an interesting game because, obviously, Spurs' three centre-backs were all from the Ajax school in various ways. So it was an interesting clash between kind of Ajax old and Ajax new. But I thought the way that particularly Daily Blind was just hitting balls through the lines in the first 10-15 minutes, breaking that press was so impressive. And then after half-time, there was a period where the game went a little bit flat and I was just watching uh, De Jong, just watching him for five minutes. And he was playing this double role where not only was he basically man-marking Deli Alley, but he was always checking over his shoulder and positioning himself in front of uh, Lorente to prevent balls into his feet. And this guy who's 21 and quite slight and a creative midfielder in a sense was helping to shut down two of Spurs' main attacking threats. He's just so intelligent and so good positionally. And, you know, I guess that awareness is why he's so often first to the second balls, which some would say was a, a major reason why Spurs <laughs> was, didn't do so well. I was amazed by how disciplined they were tactically without the ball Ajax. Right. This is, this is I think, why I, I have some questions about Spurs' chance in the second leg, because the second half, was that as much about the fact that Ajax went, well, we've got our our lead, we just need to shut this down. Spurs had more possession, 60% in the second half, 10 shots. They passed the ball with more accuracy than their opponents. But was this actually Ajax, just a young team that knows when to play and when not to? Well, Ajax didn't have a shot on target after Sissoko came on, so it's a slight chicken and egg. Although Neres hit the posts, which you know could have easily been a goal and, and a quite special goal as well, the way the build-up the build went. Hmm. One other thing, Spurs looked absolutely cooked in that second half. And, and Deli Alli in particular, is that fair? 
Yeah, I don't think he's anywhere near fit. And I think there's a few players on that Tottenham side who, yeah, are just exhausted. It was obvious in the game against West Ham. It was obvious here. I expect Pochettino will make a lot of changes for the Saturday early trip down to Bournemouth. Mm. Um, but yeah, that is a major factor, especially when you consider that Ajax had the weekend off beforehand to prepare as well. Spurs with something of a weekend off this time, while Ajax will have the cup final. So it's interesting to see how full of pep these youngsters are come next Wednesday. And, of course, facing Sun Hyung-min. Comeback chances, Michael? 15%. For Spurs? Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> um, 16%. Really? Julianne, a big 17? 14. <laughs> so I had to go right. lower. OK. Well, up next... We'll talk about the weekend in the Premier League. Klopp's on the ascendancy, mate. He's the real king of the north. No, we. How many Champions Leagues he won? Rafa's a proper king of the north. He won that with us. And you betrayed him? You must be thinking of Rafa circa 2005, not 2019 there, Mr Newcastle fan. But don't worry, because with Paddy Power, not all your mistakes cost you as much. Get money back as a free bet if Mane scores for Liverpool against Newcastle. Paddy Power, home of the money back special. Selected markets only applies to first bet on all losing goal scorer correct scoring what odds Paddy bets on the match. Luxury fund £10 as a free bet. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Two games to go in this Premier League season. Three things to be sorted out. The title, the top four and will Cardiff go down. Intriguingly, former Liverpool managers who now pepper the Premier League like kind of former Doctor Who's pre-regeneration. I see um, Roy Hodgson, for example, in the William Hartnell uh, role. <laughs> but anyway, former Liverpool managers have key roles in all three questions this weekend. Isn't that right, Duncan? It is. We've got Rafa Benitez um, trying to stop Liverpool, which he's never done before as a manager. Um, and we've got Brendan Rodgers, who has given Leicester some more verve in the last few weeks. Right, and William Hartnell with Palace down at Cardiff. That match features the oldest ever clash of managers in in uh, Premier League history, possibly top flight history. Right. Thinking of life expectancy data. Um, that's, <laughs> you know, don't want to yep. get too dark. But no, sure. Wh- wh- so we've got the 70-year-old Neil Warnock right. and the 71-year-old Roy Hodgson. Wow. Um, and if you add that together, 141 years, take that off now... Yeah. Go back to 1878. That's 10 years before league football even started. So that is what they're, <laughs> that is what they're playing for it's, down there in as, Cardiff. It's as old as football, or in fact, even older. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And the interesting thing, I mean, or not, I was talking to a, a Palace fan the other day who said, Palace away at Cardiff, we'll play the kids. And I looked a bit perplexed. He went, well, if Cardiff win, who does that put pressure on? Brighton. And who do Palace hate more than anybody in the world? Brighton. Three Bridges. No, uh, you, you, usually Yeah, me, sorry. <laughs> me and Brighton. Brighton. Imagine if I was Brighton captain. God. Yeah. Uh, anyway, no, I'm kidding. Of course, no, of course. I mean, uh, right, at, at the top, though, there's that title battle. It is only one point between Man City and Liverpool. Liverpool have Newcastle. City have Leicester. Which is tougher, Michael? I think it's a lot tougher to play against Leicester, who are in good form. And uh, and City lost to them early in the season. It was it's funny this uh, this weekend of fixtures was the reverse fixtures were played on Boxing Day. Mm. So basically, I think everyone kind of forgets about them because you're always doing something different on Boxing Day, and you kind of just watch match of the day when you're drunk and forget about it straight away. But there were some interesting things in these matches, and yeah, mainly Leicester beating City. 
Leicester beat City, and mm. what did Newcastle do against uh, Liverpool? They lost Battered. 4-0. 4-0. But you know what else Newcastle did not long after that? They beat City? They did. They were the mm. last team to beat City. They got a great record, I think. I mean, they shipped loads of goals, but they've, they've got a good record since the turn of the year. I usually Perez as seven in his last seven mm-hmm. at St James's Park. It's not a given, that, is it? Well, to back up Michael's point about Leicester, I think of this of City's three defeats this season, the, the ones the Palace and Newcastle were very much, you know... City did everything except score um, enough, but the Leicester one was probably the one where they were most outplayed. So I right. think of all, you know, it's the closest that a team has come to sort of, you know, being genuinely better than City. Okay, and under that was under their previous manager, of course. Under Brendan Rodgers, are they more or less likely to do damage to City? I think they're better going forwards, and they if you do XG goal difference, so you take a team's XG this season and their XG conceded. Their XG difference, yeah, that? essentially. Um, Leicester fourth in the Premier League, which shows they've been pretty good actually all season. Um, so you, all the numbers do kind of suggest that they have got what it takes to to beat City, but you know City easily could win four 0 Okay, there's no Kevin De Bruyne, there's no Fernandinho, is that correct? Yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see what Brendan Rodgers, the, the Raheem Sterling whisperer, will be able to do in terms of you know tactically boxing in one of City's key assets. And also, Jürgen Klopp is renting um, Brendan Rodgers' house in Liverpool. Is that and right? If, yeah, and if Rodgers and Leicester City beat City or, or get a draw, yeah. Brendan surely can put the rent up and Klopp will be, yeah, that's fine, you just want me the title. Double it up, triple it up, whatever. No problem at all. All right. Do you think that uh, Brendan Rodgers' house still has all his pictures up on the wall of Brendan Rodgers and that? Yeah, or he's maybe in the basement where he had his gym, right. and probably, I believe, still have the gym, has the charts of how well he was doing, oh, uh, putting weights. And obviously, Virgil van Dijk rents yeah. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's house. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, I'm... Not sure that I've got something around that, but yeah, it was. <laughs> do you, do you so think Brendan Rodgers actually collects rent from Jurgen Klopp? Like yeah, Brendan is a good is a good tenant club. But on the other hand, if Leicester if Leicester get battered by City, Klopp yes. could thrash the house and just say to Rodgers, "Well, it's your fault. You should have done better." It's an interesting angle. <laughs> Liverpool, by the way, just returning to their side of this uh, duel this weekend. Their last four visits to the northeast haven't won any of them. So, and what and what do you do if your club? Do you rotate massively? You can't, I mean, Origi, Sturridge up front? Nah, yeah, but if you keep nah. the same one and then you play them again mm. next week against Barcelona, it's, it's a lot of like games and pressure. And so, but you know, you're do right. You, do you go, the Champions League is gone. I've got to focus on this. I've got which to you could. Yeah. Or do you rest players? No, I don't, I don't think they'll be resting any wholesale players from the outset. I think they'll hope to get the job done on 55, 60 minutes and then take off some players. But they've got to put not all their eggs, but most of their eggs in their Premier League basket now. And then the Barcelona game's a bit of a free shot. OK, so get the win on Saturday. It's the late game on Saturday, this. Very late. Very late, yeah. And this puts... Why, how late is it? 7.45. Which is the way it should be, let's what? be honest. Under the no. lights, football is so much better than your 3 o'clock kickoff, today. where you are, you've just finished eating and it's just like... Anyway. Right. Um, anyway, OK, so then that means that Liverpool... If things go according to their plan, wake up Sunday morning and Monday morning in the lead with one game to go. But then it's all down to Newcastle and how much... Sorry, but then it's all down to Man City and Leicester and how much pressure is going to be on that Monday night game. Yeah, I mean, this Monday bank holiday has been quite a big day in in recent years in the Premier League. It was the three-all between Liverpool and Crystal Palace that kind of decided the title. It was the Eden Hazard goal against Tottenham Tottenham, at Stamford Bridge, which 
you know, won the title for Leicester. I only know this because it always clashes with the World Snooker final and they're right. frantically changing between channels. I see, <laughs> I see. Okay, wow. It's it's going to be a fascinating long weekend of football. Do you care to make a prediction or should we just wait to see what's going to happen? Let's wait to see what's going to happen and move on instead to the battle for the other top four places. I say a battle, the kind of weak flailing <laughs> that's going on between Spurs, Chelsea... Arsenal and Man United to give them their current order in the Premier League standings. Spurs, who are four points clear of Arsenal in fifth, as we mentioned, will be visiting Bournemouth. Fourth place, Chelsea host Watford in what could be Eden Hazard's final appearance as a Chelsea player at the Stamford Bridge. Man United are at Huddersfield and Arsenal face Brighton. Just have a look at those games. Spurs have already beaten Bournemouth 5-0 this season. Yeah, Eddie Howe seems to audition for the Tottenham job by always losing really heavily against them. So uh, Tottenham have averaged 3.1 goals per game against Bournemouth in the Premier League, which wow. is the best record, their best record against any team. Wow. Um, so How many goals? 3.1 a game, which is quite a lot. That is a lot of goals. Okay, and Bournemouth, I mean, they're, they're a little bit unpredictable at the moment, let's say. Bournemouth have been on the beach, both figuratively and literally, since, a, <laughs> since about October. So right. well, Literally since before... You know, geography suggests. Since the Jurassic Age, possibly. Yeah, possibly so. OK, that's Spurs then, who you're f- suggesting will get three points? I think they will, yes. OK, Chelsea, who are in Frankfurt this Thursday evening. Difficult game, that one. They haven't won in three matches. hudson Adoy very much out. And Williams in doubt as well. And they could be about to lose Eden Hazard. Is he going to do something special in this Well, he's been modelling the, their new kit. Which is quite nice. Okay. We had, I don't know if you heard this, listener, but the other day we had um, Pat Nevin in, mm. who was with a nod and a wink, suggesting that maybe he's not going anywhere. Yeah. We'll see. I don't believe that a second. No? <laughs> no. Okay. Well, in which case, will this be, will he go out with a real. He was, I has he was brilliant in the reverse fixture. Actually, so I remember from Boxing Day. Uh, he, he played as a full time, but he was just doing, he was just dominating the game so much. There's so many games this year where Hazard just, the game is all about him. I thought that was the case at Old Trafford. Yeah. Chelsea just kind of given up on the uh, attacking section of what Sarri wants in terms of the pass and move. Just give it to Hazard and see what he does. And yeah, a lot of the time he comes up with something. It's maybe a subject for another day, but there, the message boards are rife at the moment with people suggesting Chelsea could be better off without Hazard. <laughs> and there's no, Michael's answer. No. no. All right, Arsenal are losing uh, Aaron Mickey Ramsey. Hazard, maybe. But. <laughs> <laughs> Arsenal are losing Aaron Ramsey. He has confirmed that due to that hamstring problem, he's played his last game for the Gunners. It was that tuna win away in Naples, in which he scored which is, I think, the only win they've had in their last five. They've lost all four of their other matches. Oh, my word, they're in a rotten run of form as they take on Brighton. Yeah, although no South Coast team's ever won away at Arsenal in the Premier League. So <laughs> There's that. Yeah. There's that. OK. And, uh, well, if they beat Brighton, of course, that gives Cardiff hope, which then sets them up for a, a really bitter defeat at home to Palace. Or, or Palace's kids, depending on what Roy decides to do. Saturday tea time... You can't do that. I mean, I know there's what Palace fans will want, but you can't play your kids just to try and spite one of your rivals. That's <laughs> that's not going to happen. Especially Hodgson. Hodgson doesn't make changes to his team anyway. OK. United are also still in with the top four chance. And they've got uh, the fixtures. They, they play Huddersfield and Cardiff then, so on paper... They should they... stroll past Huddersfield, which makes it the perfect kind of fixture for Anthony Martial, given his recent 
stats. Uh, the game against Chelsea had him running. Oh, I think actually for the season he's running on average eight point five kilometers a game, which sounds a lot to me, but is a lot less than say, for example, Juan Mata, who's doing eleven point three. In fact, Martial the worst running stats on. And did you see him in the warm up? I say in the, I'm doing air quotes on in the warm up before Chelsea. Yeah, I enjoyed that. He's kind of just stood there whilst everyone else got their uh, yeah got the muscles going. Right. If he's good enough for Messi, then... Yeah. yeah. Just right. on Huddersfield, yeah. obviously they've been trying to break a lot of records this season. There's still a couple they can do this weekend. If they lose, they'll equal the all-time top-flight record for home defeats in a season, which is 15. Nice. And no team in top-flight history has ever scored fewer than 10 goals in a season. And they're on nine. At home? Yeah, at home. Okay. So the, there's a real chance of setting a new, yeah. new, new mark there. Uh, United Technical Director News. I was looking forward to seeing Mike Phelan taking over that role, but now they're talking up Rio Ferdinand. Who takes a, f- a lot of the boxes, to be fair, because I think you would want someone who obviously has played for the club and hopefully well, who knows the manager, the players, which he does, who, mm-hmm. you know, good social skills and everything, which I think he has. I think since being coming in Pundit, he's opened up much more than maybe when he was a player. I mean, it depends exactly what they want. If they, I don't think they want someone who would do all the transfers, so who needs a, a, a huge address books with a lot of agents and, and a lot of relationship with those agents. I think it's someone that links a bit everything together, the, the recruitment, obviously, but also the first team with the board, the academy and all of that. And I think for that, he, he would be a good person. Nice for them to be the ones doing the murking for once on, on, on the transfer front, perhaps. Maybe another candidate would be, because uh, you can see what Solskjaer wants from his staff. Uh, there's one quite important factor in mind. I see John O'Shea has retired from mm-hmm. football this week. He used to play for Manchester United, so that's the main box ticked mm-hmm. for Solskjaer. So okay. maybe they could get him in. Tell you another player who used to play for Man United, Paul Pogba. Angels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not fair though, is it? I did no, like his response fair. to Graham Souness. Graham Souness, or Souness rather, uh, was suggesting yeah, the usual things about Pogba. And Pogba said, there's no problem. They can say what they want. They're paid for that. Paid to say things in front of the camera. I'm not paid to speak. I'm paid to be on the pitch and fight for my team. That's all. Yeah. I mean, it's like if Sunas would say that tactics don't really matter in football, he would never say anything like that. So I think everything he says must be right. To be fair to Sunas, he said, those things don't matter if you don't get to the ball first. Yeah, but how would you get to the ball first? If you set up nicely tactically, you will. The Answer tactics, that one, Graham. Exactly. Actually, the tactics makes you be on the ball first. Right. I looked at Sunes' last few games as a Premier League manager at Newcastle and they did have the most possession in his last six matches. Okay. So they did kind of stick to that ethos. And how were the results? Uh, one draw, five defeats. Yeah. Okay. It's not all about results. Brackets, it is. Hey, listener, you might think The Economist only concerns itself with economics and finance. But you'd be wrong because it covers loads of topics across politics, business, science, technology, arts and the environment. There's even a bit of sport in there too. Uh, For example, this week I got my clever on finding out all about the comedian who's just become Prime Minister of Ukraine, which is really interesting. And also I went back into the archive to read up on the linguistic universe behind Game of Thrones. I know. The Economist is the smart guide to the forces changing your world. So if you're the sort of person who never stops asking questions, get your free copy now by texting the word football to 78070. That's football to 78070. Also in action this weekend in the Premier League, Everton taking on Burnley. West Ham, fresh from their 
triumph at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, although everyone's doing it these days, will be hosting Saints, for whom Shane Long has got four goals in the last five games. He scored three opening goals as well, obviously one particularly early recently, and Southampton have actually won none of those matches. So, okay. But I, I, I love players who kind of do well at the end of the season, just out of nowhere, and this pits Antonio against Long in, yeah. in a classic. Antonio, and if it, Antonio scores, what will he do for a celebration? Tried to think. <laughs> right. I like to think. Yeah, his hands up, <laughs> the last one was quite troubling, but there have been some really special ones before that. There was a kind of Gangnam Style one. We mentioned the, the carpet stroking. Yeah. And the Homer Simpson and all that. Anyway, we'll see. That's Saturday, three o'clock. And also, at that time, Wolves hosting Fulham. I like that game because it's the match between the prediction everyone got right at the start of the season and the one everyone got wrong. So everyone said Wolves are going to finish seventh, which they will be there or thereabouts. And everyone said Fulham. Yeah, they won't do quite as well as Wolves, but they'll be mid-table. Make a prediction about this one then, Duncan, because Wolves have been terrible against the bottom sides. And Fulham are on a three-win, three-clean-sheet streak. Fulham are the BST champions, as I'm calling them. So since the clock's changed, they've been good. So, Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> OK. Excellent. All right. Well, that's all the Premier League we've got time for, because after this, we're going to touch on the Football League and lots of other exciting things from around the world, prospects for PSG, all that kind of thing, after this. Hello, I'm Caroline Barker and you can find me on the Totally Football League show. And this week we're talking this. It's not better than someone in the bushes, like. <laughs> no, Can't no, be. No, no. <laughs> this. No, I would argue that Derek Adams and Kevin Bond maybe um, didn't stay cool ahead of the weekend games. And this. Love going to Sheffield United. It's one of the best noises you hear outside the Premier League. Is that generic enough for you? That's the Totally Football League show with this. Available every Tuesday. Just hit subscribe and download on your preferred podcast app to listen to more of our dulcet tones. Nice to see Caroline back. Uh, Although the other people were great as well. Speaking of the Football League in the Championship, Michael, it's the final round of games. Leeds, West Brom and Villa are definitely in the playoffs. You will recall that Norwich and Sheffield United have already sewn up a little P next to their names on the table. That other P is going to belong to one one of those three teams and somebody else out of Derby Borough and Bristol City for the final spot. Although basically, Duncan, it's it's Derby, isn't it? You'd think so. Yeah. Out of those three, only Bristol City fans have hit me in the face, so I'll probably go with Derby. Okay, Derby <laughs> are at home to West Brom. Borough are relegated Rotherham. Bristol City will be hoping to hit Hull hard. Why did a Bristol City fan hit you in the face? It's a long story. Okay. Uh, Anyway, that's all very exciting. Villa host Norwich in a game which could determine whether the Canaries take the title. They only need a point. Moving on down the ladder, the pyramid, Luton and Barnsley are actually moving up the pyramid. Sorry, they've just been promoted from League One to the Championship. Luton back for the first time in the second tier in 12 years. Taking their places in League One, presumably still warm, are Bury and Tranmere. Uh... And oh, Dan Curran asks, how about showing some love for AFC Wimbledon? Nah. AFC Wimbledon. Are you across this story, Michael? 14 nah. games ago in February, they were 10 points adrift in Division 1. Where are they now? Two points above the relegation zone. Asks Dan, what is the largest points gap a team has overcome? Don't know. But they have done well. Okay. Um, I spoke to a, 
a Wimbledon super fan that I know. And basically they've done what I think that's quite common in League One and League Two, which is basically goalkeeper doping in the sense that they got this guy Aaron Ramsdale in from Bournemouth in January. Right. He's really good. Um, he's won two of their Player of the Year awards and basically transformed their, their thing. And, and a lot of teams in League One, Wickham's best spell of form came this season when they had like, on loan keepers from the Championship. And basically, championship the big gap now is Championship to League One. Championship clubs have got loads and loads of good players in the reserves. If you can loan them in League One, you can basically transform your season. Interesting. Interesting. All right, well, let's have a look at one or two other questions then. Dan Collins says, is there anything more annoying than commentators consistently referring to Messi as the little man? I have to say, Dan, I so agree with you. They did it to Maradona as well, and it and Hazard too. I find it so patronising from people who, let's be frank, in football terms, will not have accomplished anything like what Messi... Hazard, maybe, but Maradona, and to have them banding around the epithet little. Is it because I myself am vertically challenged? Yeah, probably. But I just think, show some respect to you all. They're not slagging them off, though, are they? No, but it's it's such a kind of... It is a, it's a little yeah, pat on the head, bit, like the yeah. little man. Do you not yeah. think there's something vaguely... as well? No, yeah. Yeah. Hasn't Messi got that them. weird nickname as well, the Atomic Flea, which A, never gets used, and B, again... You know, I love it's... nicknames that never get used. Like every time Man City players do a tweet and then sign it with the hashtag Shark Team. What? Yeah. They... Have you not seen that? No. They're, they're, they're desperately trying to. It's Benjamin Mendy's idea. Right, to it's call themselves creation. Shark Team because the idea is that they're just this ruthless killing machine, yeah. as mm. they proved against Spurs. Oh, no, hang on a second. Anyway. Well, uh, I get annoyed enough by when City refers to themselves as citizens with a Y. Mm. Right, that's awful. Okay, because citizen is quite a nice nickname, I think. Yeah, yeah, but nicknames in general are quite—it's very hard to use them. You know, people that say the Red Devils about Manchester United—it it sounds a bit twee, doesn't it? The Pensioners for Chelsea, <laughs> the Glaziers for Palace—that's another nice one. Mm. Jules, you've got a, a commentary phrase that you really can't abide. Yes, I hate shooting boots. Oh, he, he he's got his shooting, shooting boots, boots on. He, yeah, Why does that doesn't. upset you so much? Do do players have a pair of shooting boots and a pair of non-shooting boots? No, it's not. It's not because they, they don't miss a goal or a chance right. because they, they put the wrong shoes boots. on and they don't have the right. shooting boots well, on. Someone let it's the worst move. expression ever. Well, okay. I was at uh, the snooker the other day and listened to the commentary and Dennis Taylor referred to one of the players having his potting boots on. which doesn't make sense on any level. You could maybe say he's brought his potting cue at a stretch, but his boots aren't going to change anything. Any commentators who are listening, by the way, I also am not particularly comfortable when they talk about squeaky bum time. It's mm. not an image that I want to particularly <laughs> have rolling around. Well, so squeaky bum time, obviously yeah. invented by Alex Ferguson. What, yes. So when you think of squeaky bum time, what do you imagine it means? Uh, the final bit of a game when you're... No, it, it's no, it, what it, it's does it refer to? When, Oh, that you are passing wind through your nervous excitement. Right, so that, I think that's what he meant. But on, yeah. online, some people claim it's because when you get to the end of the season, you get nervous and you shift around in your plastic seat and it, and it squeaks, but that's not, that's not it, is it? I think it's more of a kind of... You know, yeah. one of those noises. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, good. Also, here's a phrase you should use more commentators. Cometh the hour, cometh the man. <laughs> See if you can work that into your... Oh, I'll tell you what else is annoying about Messi. Yep. Is when he does something bad and they go, oh, he is human after all. (laughs) It really does my head in. That's a good one. Anyway, right, okay, good. Oh, um, hey, just speaking about that messy business on Wednesday, here's Osenil de Setbal, who says, what does Zonal Marking think about Valverde? Something out Cuccino for Semedo, or Semedo, rather. 
Uh, everyone talking about Messi, but I thought that moment blocked Liverpool building. Yeah, it was a really good change, actually. And when I saw him coming on, I thought there's a good chance he will do that. Because, uh, I mean, I thought Liverpool's best attacking threat in the first uh, period of the game was Robertson getting forward. Obviously, as Duncan says, with uh, Gomez in, they didn't have that kind of threat from right back. And yeah, I thought Sergio Roberto was struggling a little bit with the speed. And Semedo's obviously a a defensive player, primarily a right back, but also offered really good counter-attacking speed as well. Um, so I thought that was a good change. And, uh, you know, Barcelona, I thought, improved after Coutinho went off, just as Liverpool have improved since they sold Coutinho. <laughs> so maybe a pattern there. Interesting. It's just so strange to see a defensive change like that after an hour at home for a Barcelona team. But Valverde has made them more pragmatic than they were ever with. And I think we have to accept that this is not the team that Guardiola had and it's not the same style of football. And it's probably more effective. Elsewhere in Europe and beyond, a big get well soon to Ika Casillas, who suffered a heart attack, poor chap. He's 37. While training with his team, uh, Porto, on Wednesday, went to hospital... Porto say that he's not in danger and he did a big thumbs-up photo from his hospital bed. Um, he must be the Champions League's most capped player, he is, isn't he? he is, yeah. yeah. Uh, so do wish him the very best because he always seemed a, a stand-up bloke. He seems a very nice bloke. He's also he's quite interesting on Twitter. He just randomly tweets about random goalkeepers he you've was, never yeah, heard in of. Czech Republic. The yeah. other day he said, like, yeah, follow this guy, that goalkeeper, <laughs> Sparta Prague or something, <laughs> who's having a very good season. And the guy is scouting for goalkeeper scouts all around the world. Brilliant. Excellent. In Italy, make time on your Sunday uh, afternoon for Lazio Atalanta, which is in that traditional lunchtime slot if you eat your lunch at 2 o'clock. Atalanta, Michael, I'm sure you're... Oh, yeah. Yeah, you appreciate a bit of them. They had a 2-0 win over Udinese on Monday evening, which means that they are now clear in fourth, the final Champions League spot in Serie A. They also knocked down a bit of their stadium on Tuesday because they don't hang around in Bergamo. <laughs> They're basically redoing one stand every season. Uh, so they'll have a nice brand spanking new venue ready by 2021, they reckon. They're a point clear of Roma and three points clear of Milan and Torino in the race for... Champions League places it's going to be really interesting to see what they can do down in Rome against Lazio Friday night the Serie A uh, action begins with the Turin derby by the way Torino as we mentioned there who are doing really well aren't they well yeah they're not too much fun to watch no I think Sirigu has the most clean sheets in the season yeah Yeah, which is surprising because because it's Torino they're taking on Juve in the Turin derby that'd be fun and Palmer and Sam also two o'clock on Sunday afternoon. I mentioned this a because they're two of everyone's favourite teams from the nineties, and they've got some of the nicest kits around. And they're doing a special kit meld for this one for charity. They what they've done is they've taken the design of their opponent's jersey. So Palmer will be wearing a Sam design, but with Palmer colours, and Sam will be wearing a Palmer design That's with really Sam cool. colours. They that actually look really good. nice. There's a guy There's on a Twitter yeah. called Museum of Jerseys who does requests like that. So <laughs> it's good to see it crossing into the club game. Brilliant. By the way, uh, we'll be doing a big Atalanta special, I think, in next week's Galato. In this one, we're talking all about Alberto Malasani for reasons that you'll discover if you have a listen. There's a bit of swearing in that as well. By the way, listeners, Graham sent some really nice, I think these are, I'm sure if they're leather or what, they're Italian football coasters. Mm-hmm. That's a classic inter-jersey on that one. Yeah. Roma there. Oh, two Roma ones. Very nice. Oh, wow. Good. Yeah, for I your did... drinks. You know, yeah, yeah. When you're watching Match of the Day Drunk on Boxing Day, you put your whatever it is on, on this. Very nice. That's from Graham. Listener, if you want to send in gifts... 
very much <laughs> seen in a favourable light. Can I get some for Ligue 1, please, Graham? Go to his website, Jules. Okay. Thenorthcurve.com. Uh, let's talk about France. Oh, do we have to? Yeah. Okay. Paris Saint-Germain, they had that strange run recently where they just kept losing games. I'm glad that's over. Yeah, I haven't followed really. I've been focused on the Premier League and the uh, Champions League. <laughs> they, they lost to Montpellier this week. And it was so bad. Were they? It was just pathetic. So Neymar's come back. Neymar's come back for the last three games now. Right. And they won one and lost two. One including the um, FA French Cup final on Saturday right. where then he, he slapped uh, a Rennes fan in the face. Yes. Uh, which he would be in trouble for, probably uh, a hefty suspension for the start of next season, which will add to his Champions League suspension at the start of next season as well. So he might not even play between August and and mid-September. But yeah, it's a it's a rotten time right now with a lot of issues at the club structurally. And not many trophies. Just one, yeah, which is the first time since 2012-13 uh, when Carlo Ancelotti only won the league at the time. Right. But since then, they were used to win at least one of the two cups or both even. Okay, so Dukla Prague away kit asks, uh, crisis or just a blip at PSG? Will we see Tuchel leave and the inevitable inevitable return of Jose? No, I don't think. I, th- I think Tuchel will get another season. He signed a new deal before he all sort of unraveled. Uh, since the uh, the defeat against United at the Pied de Prince in the Champions League, that incredible, humiliating defeat. But things have to change because there are far too many issues at that club internally in terms of the structure of the club and the organisation, you know, with the chairman, Nasser Al-Khalifi, with the sporting director, uh, with a lot of the scouts and the recruitment process and, and all of that. And you can't just take things for granted in football. I think you can't just throw money and expect success in the Champions League or even domestically. And I think they've done that for too long. Um, Tuchel has made a few mistakes in the last few weeks in his team selection, tactically as well. The players, for for a lot of them, are already on on holidays, and there's those tensions in the dressing room that I think would be very hard to to correct. You know, Neymar coming out and saying that the younger players don't listen and are too arrogant, which is true. To be fair, Alphonse Areola and Prenel Kimpembe, especially, I think since they won the World Cup with France, have gonna be big-headed. And you see that with the performances on the pitch. But I really think there's, there's an issue in the dressing room that Tuchel at some point will have to, to resolve. The problem with Tuchel is that when he signed, everyone, everyone, especially in Germany, was saying like he's, like a, you know, he's heavy on discipline, he's a bit like a dictator. He came over and tried to charm everyone and be friendly, friendly with the, with the players, which is part of the problem because there's not enough discipline in that, in that club from the, from the top towards the dressing room, the player... Uh, Gregor Vanderville, for example, the former right back at the club, saying that players get arrive late at training for team meetings. No one doesn't say anything, and and I think there's there's a lot of issues that they would have to solve. Otherwise, this would come back next season and the season after as well. Oh, that would be terrible. Uh, just talking to France, uh, Eduardo Camavinga made yes. his first start for Rennes against Monaco midweek. 16 and 5 months. Wow. He's the first player born after Grand Theft Auto Vice City came out to play in, to start a game in Europe's top five leagues. Right. He's a wonderful talent. Signed his first professional contract only four months ago and then came on as a Serb three or four weeks ago and then made his first start against Monaco last night. If PSG have sealed the title, Champions League places... Yeah, very good. We have a huge game on Sunday night between Lyon and Lille, uh, which is the contest really for second and third place. Lille have been amazing with Nicolas Pepe, the, really the star of, of, of the season in Ligue 1, who unfortunately will leave us in the summer, as a lot of players will, and go somewhere bigger and better. 
uh, but yeah, that's a huge game to watch on Sunday night between Lyon and Lille. Excellent. All right. Uh, well, we'll talk about Scotland in a second or two. But first, let's get the odds on some of those things happening this weekend, courtesy of Paddy Power in conversation with producer Ben. Thank you, Jimbo. Lee Price from Paddy Power is on the line. Say hello, listeners. Very kind of you. Lee, Liverpool were handsomely beaten by Barcelona midweek, but what's going to happen when they head to Newcastle to take on the team now managed by their former manager, Rafa Benitez? Yeah, in Rafa we trust to spare the country the gloating of Liverpool fans who are currently panicked about Benitez reminding the world what a master tactician he is. But I have a few facts which might reassure them, Ben. Newcastle's equivalent to Leo Messi is um, Aosi Perez. The Magpies are safe, so the biggest game at St James's Park is really between Rafa and Mike Ashley. And the home team are a huge 8-1 to one to win this, or 4-1 to one to take a point. Liverpool fans, your odds on, 3-10 to 10 to win. Take a deep breath. So not an easy game then for Liverpool. Man City also have a tricky encounter with a former Liverpool manager. That's Brendan's Leicester. Give us some numbers here, please. Hmm, there's no such panic for City, is there? But maybe they're overlooking a certain bright-toothed man. Agent Brendan goes to Manchester to undertake mission seemingly impossible, according to the odds. Leicester are 14-1 to to get a win, 15-2 to to force a draw. Whisper this, because nobody else is really saying it, but City aren't exactly on fire, and yet they're still 1-7 to to get the three points. Duncan's been taking us through some of the records that uh, Huddersfield still can break this season. Give us the odds for their game with Man United. Can they score in this one? And I'm talking about Huddersfield here, of course. <laughs> well, everyone else seems to be able to score against United, so why not Huddersfield, except from the fact that it's Huddersfield? They are odds-on, though, to get a goal against United, 4-5. to five. Solskjaer's men are on a horrid run of form and don't really look arsed, do they? But they're still 3-10 to, to win this. And it's odds-on David De Gea starts, despite, well, everything. And finally, Brighton against Arsenal. Brighton are almost safe. Arsenal are in a hideous run of form. Can Brighton beat them? Yeah, that's maybe a tougher question than you would have thought, Ben, given the timing of the Arsenal game in Europe. If they need to rest players next week, these prices will move. But as it is, the Gunners are 4-11 to to win this, which isn't a terrible price for a home game against a team which refuses to attack. Uh, Speaking of Brighton, they're 15-2 to to produce a shock, which, for clarity, is to win the game not just having a shot on goal. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only, begambleaware.org and when the fun stops, what do you do? You stop. Um, Scotland, where one of Partick Thistle, Queen of the South or Aloha, and not Aloha, who all play down in the Scottish Championship, are heading for a relegation playoff. Uh, the reason I mention all of this apart from an opportunity to get Aloha right, is that um, Partick have taken the whole uh, names in an envelope game to the next level. Have you seen this? No. They, uh, the assistant manager, Brian Kerr, WhatsApped their players ahead of their relegation game with Queen of the South. He said, boys, big game on Saturday. We want each of you to bring in your starting 11 on a piece of paper in a blank envelope you handed in at training. No need to speak to each other about it. This is your team and who you would want on that pitch at 3 o'clock on Saturday from our squad. Manager Gary Caldwell said the lads were brilliant with it. In pressure situations, you know who's going to be there by your side. Or I guess you know who you want to be there by your side. I don't see the point at all. So he's basically, they, they would like to know who players would like to play with so that they can factor that in. You know, who so, are the... So what, because three guys said, oh, I want Michael Cox in midfield. Yeah. And the manager said, oh, yeah, they're right. I'm going to do that. 
right. Well, well presumably they're so the cheap players that were at Barcelona. This are not available on Saturday. No, I know. Right. Mm. Um, Pushing the envelope. Steve Kerr, the uh, Golden State Warrior head coach in yeah. the NBA. Oh yeah. Last season in the playoffs, let some of these players do the team talk during one of of the timeout. Which a lot of, I mean, the opposition team and a lot of people thought was quite disrespectful towards really? the opposition, yeah. So he basically stood up there and his players, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, did the, did the, talk, did the, the team talk during the timeout. Excellent. Is there a sport that you don't like, Julian? So snooker, I watch. It's not a sport, is it? Oh, here we go. We don't have time for that. Do what, what about another I'm, game involving sticks? Ice hockey. I love ice hockey. Do you? All right. You'll be excited to know there's a new Totally Ice Hockey show coming up. Oh, my word, to coincide with the Ice Hockey World Championships taking place in, in Bratislava and Kosice. I'm genuinely intrigued by the rest of Jules' sentence. Oh. Like, no, but he says he watches it, so I'm intrigued why... Yeah, I find it fascinating. Yeah, yeah. But I can't watch it for as long as I watch other sports. That's Is it because you don't know the people involved? I don't know. I do. I, oh. I do. Yeah, I, I do follow. Care. Yeah. Yeah. Duncan, what's the sport that everyone. you would walk fastest away from? Rugby union, I think. Yeah, right, that's Michael. the correct answer. Okay, yeah. I won't say mine just in case you know there's a gig in it. What's yours? So, <laughs> no, I won't. Just in case somebody. Imagine if I was to say snooker and then they go, "Oh, yeah, he doesn't like snooker." But just saying, people... like, career-wise, that's suicide. <laughs> but would people go to you for snooker anyway? Well, they went to me for football. <laughs> <laughs> Have anyway. you ever said before that football? You don't like football. No. Oh, I yeah, of course, yeah. Thing, but no, I'm just saying, like, you know, I never played snooker, but I never played football either. So, you know, yeah, true. I spoke Italian. That was my, that my CV was one line. Um, now, uh, Monday, it's going to, well, Michael, you're back with us alongside Daniel Story and Sasha Gurionov. Yeah. We might ask you to bring in envelopes with who you think should be on Thursday's show. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'd have See, to that'd do be kind that. of interesting, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that wraps it up for today's Totally Football Show. Do hope you'll be joining us after the weekend. That you have a super bank holiday weekend, <laughs> listener. Many thanks, Duncan, Julianne, and Michael, and we'll catch up with you then. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.